to Life Lessons. We're Jen and Sherry. I'm Jen Stevens, a retired teacher of 28 years and the author of the New York Times bestseller, Fast Feast Repeat. And I'm Sherry Bullock. I've worked in healthcare for over 26 years, and I've been an active volunteer for many organizations. We're both wives and moms, and let's face it, we're the glue that holds it all together in our homes. In our careers, we have always been problem solvers who help others. And that's what we'll be doing here, answering questions you didn't know you had, one smart solution at a time. We're always looking for ways to make our lives easier, help us be more productive, or improve our health and wellness. So let's live our best lives one day at a time, and let's have some fun along the way. everybody. We are so glad you're here today. Welcome to this week's episode of the Life Lessons Podcast. How are you doing today, Sherry? I'm doing okay. We are Just recording. Okay? Well, you know, we're recording much earlier than we normally do, and I'm not quite awake yet. No. <laughs> it's like late afternoon to me. <laughs> I didn't wake up till after 10. I'm a morning person. You know, I was awake at like if I wake up and look and see what time it is in the morning and it's any time after five, I feel like it's a victory. Well, I hurt my neck really bad. I don't even know how. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I wasn't even sure I could put headphones on to record the day. My neck hurts so bad. Well, that's not good. So I was not sleeping well last night. And around 5 a.m. I took a muscle relaxer and then I was just out. So oh. <laughs> well, I slept great, but I did wake up at 530. Oh, I was wide awake. Yeah. <laughs> We're trying we have Hurricane Ian coming in our future. So your first coastal well, hurricane. Yeah, it's not supposed to be a through. hurricane when it hits us, but it's a tropical you know, storm or whatever. Or, at that I don't point. know, but it's you know, right now we're recording this on Wednesday. It hasn't hit well, it's starting to hit Florida and so it's gonna be coming across Florida and then looping around kind of somehow. So Anyway, and of course, you know, we just moved back. We moved into the beach house full time. So I'm like, oh, no, we don't know what to do. Chad's like, what do we do? I'm like, I don't know. You're you're in charge of that. <laughs> That's not my department. <laughs> well, I want to teach the listeners something I learned yesterday. Okay. It's a good t- tip, I guess. And as crazy as it sounds, I have a 2020 Toyota Tacoma. Her name is Daisy. She's white. Daisy for Daisy Duke, because I always name my vehicles after strong women. <laughs> <laughs> and anyway, when I got it in 2020, it was like I had totaled my car. I hit a deer and I didn't really have a choice. And, you know, they stopped manufacturing vehicles for quite a while. That, yeah. And so I kind of had to just get what I got and I didn't get some of the options. I wanted some safety options on it. Well, my husband's car has blind spot alert. Do you know how many times we have almost wrecked my truck since we started driving his car? Because my truck did not have it. You're expecting it. Yes. You turn on your turn signal, you look at your mirror, it's all clear, and you start to get over until you realize there's a vehicle in your blind spot. We also, I cart around my dogs, and I really had wanted leather originally. Anyways, long story short, I found a truck almost identical to mine, same year, but it had leather and heated seats, which is very important to me. And so I traded it, my vehicle yesterday, same year. I mean, like really, I traded for like a couple features. Anyway, I went through my credit union that I had financed my truck through before, had a really, you know, good rates, went to the dealer, told them I was bringing my own financing. They were going to jack the price up on the truck I was buying by quite a bit by using an outside company to finance because they want you to go through their 
financing because they get a little money for that. I called back my loan lady at my bank and she said, you know what? You can refinance at any time. She said, just take the discounted rate, go through them, and then come back to me and we'll refinance it and get you the better rate. Great. Jen actually gave me a good tip, which I didn't think about. She said, make sure there's no like prepayment clause penalty. penalty. Yeah. Uh, There wasn't. I did ask, but I would have forgot to ask had Jen not told me that. So make sure you know that. And then the girl said, now they are going to lie to you and they're going to tell you, you cannot refinance for 90 days or so, because that's how long it takes for them to get paid out on the loan. She said, (laughs) by law, you can refinance anytime you want. You do not have to wait. Sure enough, as I was signing papers, they said, now I understand you're going to refinance this, but you have to make four payments first. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, okay, thanks for letting me know. (laughs) But no, you do not have to. You know, I don't like those shady things when you're buying a car. The, the I last don't time either. It makes I me bought angry. a car was 2020 and I was ordering one. You know, it was like very important to me because I'd always been a payment buyer my entire life. I was buying based on what the payment was going to be and whether I would finance it or get a lease, whatever. But I was ready to go and I was trading in a leased car and buying a car and I was going to pay cash for this car for the first time in my life. And so I'm there and I'm negotiating the price of the car. And I don't think it should have to do with anything about how you're going to pay for it. It's the price. I have been told never tell them you're paying cash. Well, I got to the point. I don't know that I told them I was paying cash throughout the whole. I was talking Mm -hmm. about the price of the car. Then we started talking about how I was going to pay for it. They tried so hard to get me to finance it. Right. And they're like, whatever, whatever. And then I was like, there were these other fees jacked in there. I'm like, no. So we negotiated for the price of the car first before we talked about how I was going to pay for it, basically. Mm -hmm. But they really, really tried to get me to finance it. Now it makes sense if they're getting a kickback on the financing. They they told me, oh, well, we're going to have to take away your financing discount. And I said, what financing discount? Because it wasn't on the buyer's order at all. And they're like, well, it's built into the price that we gave you. But like, that's not disclosed. No. But suddenly when I wasn't going to use their their financing, they were going to raise the price of the vehicle. Yeah. So yeah, there's like also some weird, I think, I swear, I think mine, I added a charge if you were going to finance. Uh, well, all I'm saying is be a savvy car buyer. Yeah. Like, don't let them fool you into. Be willing to walk away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the thing that I've learned. Like one time, I was negotiating for a car, and I sat there for like six hours, and they kept and telling then you me got up and left. Well, no, I was well. I just sat there, but I just I knew they could do better, and I kept mm-hmm. coming back, and I kept saying, "I know you can do better." And I kept like blaming Chad. I was like, because he wasn't there. I was like, well, you know, he's not going to go for that. That's just more than right. we wanted to pay. And then finally, the guy came in, and he's like, "Here is a hat." And here's a keychain. <laughs> and I was like, all right, that's the best they can do because now they're giving me a hat and a keychain. I'm like, okay, I'll take that deal. <laughs> well, so the funny thing is, too, when I told them I had my own financing the day two, I was talking to them on Monday. They gave me a rate. I said, that's an awful rate. And I was like, I can do better on my own. Okay, so when I called back and told them I had my own financing, they were like, we got you a better rate. And suddenly they came down one and a half percent interest. It really is amazing how you can negotiate. We had this really expensive flood policy on the beach house. Very expensive. And 
we got it slashed by like 90% or something. What? Yes. It was like a, like, I don't even want to tell you so how much it was. They just yeah. thought you were naive and they could charge you whatever you wanted. I reckon. And, and the minute you were like, uh uh-uh, uh, they yeah. could, yeah. yeah. Oh, it, was, well, it came down to so much. Anyway. It was amazing. Shocking, however, that happened. Yeah. We just, got a great rate. Yeah. Advocate for yourself. Yeah. Don't go in blind. Don't let them push you around and shop yeah. around. Just yeah. there's other yeah. options for you. That's yep. the thing. Anyway. Yep. Well, today we have a good news story and a shout out from a grateful mom. She wrote, hi, Jen and Sherry. I love listening to your podcast. And as I was listening, you asked for good news. So I am finally doing it. A couple of weeks ago, my son was driving his 1947 Chevy truck to town that he had rebuilt himself during high school. He was about a mile away from our house on a busy highway. He said he could smell gas. And so he started to slow down and pull off the road. All of a sudden, the truck caught on fire. He hurried and pulled off, and just as he did, a FedEx driver stopped behind him and pulled out a fire extinguisher and put out the fire. My son was happy his truck was saved with minimal damages, and as his mom, I was happy that he was saved. I do not know the name of the driver, but I would love to tell him how thankful I am that he stopped and helped my son that day. He definitely went way above and beyond. It makes my heart happy that there are people out there that will help you out in a time of need. Thank you so much, Jennifer Jensen. Well, thank you, FedEx driver. Yeah, I think yes. there are a lot of helpful people out there when you're having some sort of car issue. People want to help you. Yes. At least in the South. I don't know if Jennifer's in the South. Maybe well, I and how say lucky that. Everybody was Everybody who doesn't live in the South, I want to apologize for that. I'm only <laughs> going, going on my own. One time when I was in college, my car broke down in Boston, and no one stopped and helped me. Oh, well. And I was like, if I'd have been back home, people would have helped me. So I'm sorry, everybody in Boston. I'm sure you're very nice. (laughs) That's not a very good story. (laughs) Anyway, there are people everywhere in the South, in Boston, everywhere. They just happened to not be driving by me that one day in 1980, whatever it was, (laughs) 1989. They were not on the way to wherever I was sitting. (laughs) Anyway, listeners, we need your stories. Send your good news story to connect at lifelessonscommunity.com. We want to hear about companies that have given you exceptional customer service. Give a shout out to a special someone in your life. Tell us an amazing story or share anything that might be inspirational to fellow listeners. We look forward to hearing from you and sharing your good news in an upcoming episode. Before we get to the life lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to tell you about one of the companies that makes it possible for us to bring you the podcast. And that this week, I want to talk about Hungry Root. So I had a little too much summer celebration in my summer. Summers are busy. We're at the lake, the beach, running around, packing, traveling, unpacking. And I got away from doing a lot of home cooking, and it shows in the way my clothes fit. Add to that, I'm having some hormonal changes, which have affected how my body reacts to foods. I recently started wearing a CGM, which is a continuous glucose monitor, to figure out which foods are best for my body. And time and time again, it's showing me that I do best with whole foods, plenty of fiber-packed veggies and beans, and quality protein. So I'm back to choosing home-cooked, fresh, healthy foods and staying away from pre-packaged and convenience foods. I'm loving my hungry fruit food delivery again. It's so easy and healthy with minimum fuss. You can either shop by recipes or just order individual grocery items and create your own recipes, or you can do a mix of both. You choose the recipes and they send you the groceries needed. The meals require minimal prep work and many of the meats are pre-cooked. The veggies are prepped and ready to use. 
I tend to bypass the recipes anymore and I simply choose grocery items. But if I need inspiration, the recipes are there to help guide me in my choices. I love the pre-cooked pork chops with chimichurri and the shaved Brussels for a quick, simple meal. I simply have to saute the Brussels and brown the pork chops in a skillet for a couple minutes. They also have delicious gourmet sausages and also fun things like gourmet pretzel buns for pretzel cheeseburgers. If you use the link I provide, you can save $50 on your first order. For around $75 a week, I can get all of my groceries for the week delivered to me, and it forces me to eat healthy, and I never have to figure out what there is to eat when dinner time rolls around. Visit show notes for a link or go to lifelessonscommunity.com and visit the Shop With Us tab for a link to Hungry Root. And now it's time for our life lesson of the week. This week, we are joined by one of our favorite former guests, Mary Joy, a licensed mental health counselor. Mary joined us before to discuss codependency, setting effective boundaries, and how to identify and deal with narcissists in our lives. Today, we've asked her to chat with us about another important topic, meeting people where they are. We are all different. We have different backgrounds, education, traumas, and trauma recovery experiences. We often have different support systems, personalities, and life experiences. These all shape who we are, how we live, and how we present ourselves to the world. When we meet people where they are, we are embracing who they are, not who or how we think they should be. We assess rather than judge. This is an important lesson we all need to learn in order to improve our personal relationships, our workplace environments, and to be better leaders. Something that I was guilty of for much of my adult life was expecting others to think, react, and behave like I do. And that is a real struggle, I have to say, not to give away too much of someone else's story, but Chad, (laughs) that is his number one biggest flaw of life is he has in his mind how he expects everybody else to think, react, or behave. And from when he was at work, other family members, everybody, it's really, really hard to watch because you can't control anyone but yourself. It's that whole letting go of expectations. Yes, yes. So one of the things I'm guilty of, and I'm going to say just looking back, I feel like a huge jerk. (laughs) I held this very strong belief that if I could get through college earn a degree, complete numerous certification exams in my field after becoming a teenage mom at 18, that there was no reason that others couldn't do the same. And I would look at people who were like, yeah, but I can't because I'm a teenage mom or I was a young mom or whatever. And I would be like, yes, you can. You just put your mind to it. Like in my mind, I was like, I'm not special. I'm the same as anybody else. So if I can do it, you like you can do it. It took me like probably into my 30s, late 30s to see that like not everybody's like me. They may not have my tenacity or my drive or my goal-oriented personality. And those traits really helped me overcome a setback. But again, not everybody is like me and they could be fighting things in their life or from their past that prevent them from going after their dreams. I was training to be a diversity educator in my healthcare system and it really took that training program to really open my eyes, I have this false belief that we are all the same and we're not. Sometimes we're not even on the same playing field. So let's dig into this a little bit. Mary, we're so glad that you are with us today. I'm so appreciative of being here. I always love seeing you, Jen and Sherry, and sharing with your audience. And what a great subject, meeting people where they are, because we see less and less and less tolerance for just about everything lately. So what does it mean to you? the idea of meeting people where they are. 
I'll tell you professionally and personally what it means. Okay. Personally, I have just a touch of OCD. So I know this and people make fun of me and I make fun of myself too. Just a touch to keep things like where I want them. And yes, I have junk drawers and no, I'm not a neat freak, but I've just, like I said, I've got, I like symmetry. So I, I make am fun the of same. myself. <laughs> I used to think everybody sees the things that I would see out of place, but they don't. So I I tell people personally, just I'll keep my OCD to myself. You keep yours to yourself. Because sometimes people will impose their own this, you know, like this cup goes here. And I go, no, it goes here. It doesn't matter. These are the little things. These are the little foxes that kill the vine, right? You know, that old saying. And and so, but professionally what I've noticed, and it's what, what you brought up, Sherry, and this is a lot more serious than that, is that trauma is not a competition. Some people can handle a load of trauma and survive it. We've just seen that with refugees from everywhere, you know, Ukraine, but everywhere there's just refugee. We have a refugee society right now in many ways. So some people can take a whole lot of trauma and some people can't. So it's not a competition. And like you talked about, people are either born with resilience or tenacity mm-hmm. or drive. Not everybody has those traits built into their brain and it is in your brain. You're born with those things. You can learn them, but you're born with them. So I think meeting people where they are is to just be tolerant, understanding, and empathetic. And even if you think, well, I wish I had problems that are so simple because, you know, some therapists will even think that I'm just going to confessions of a therapist. Well, we do think that some like, wow, that wish that's all I ever had to happen, you know, but still then we have to stop meet people where they are, quit being judgmental because that's having an invisible gavel in your hand and saying, okay, this is a big deal to them. This is huge to them. And I've even had little problems that seem bigger than some of my big problems. So I have to meet myself where I am too. I think we all have to meet ourselves where we are as well. Right. You know, when you stub your toe and then all of a sudden the whole world caves in, but you can, serious things can happen and you don't even react to it. You know, it's funny that you say that as you were talking. I realized I saw this Facebook post yesterday in some group I'm in. It's all women. And this woman works full time outside of the home. And she was talking about how, you know, she feels obligated to work outside the home because she brought a child to a second marriage. And she said, I would never expect my husband to support me and my child. So I feel like I have to work outside the home because my child is not his responsibility which, I mean, that's a whole other thing. But anyway, she was upset because the other ladies that she lives around in her neighborhood, none of them work outside the home. And she says, I'm so frustrated that they call me and they complain that they had to clean the house and cook dinner for their husband. And I wish all I had to do was clean the house and cook dinner for my husband. And she's like, and then I see them and they're still in their pajamas at three o'clock and I've had a full day. And she's like, I'm so sick of them complaining to me what do I do? And I'm thinking, well, (laughs) you're not the same people and you don't even know what else is going on in this person's life. Maybe this person has something that they're really struggling with. Maybe they struggle with depression, anxiety. So maybe getting up and cleaning the house, cooking dinner was really hard for them that Mm -hmm. day. And maybe they're embarrassed. They don't work outside the home and that she does. And right. You you don't, you really don't know. You just never know. Oh, you don't. So, you know, I look, so I look back and I told you, sometimes I feel like a jerk and I can't believe it really took me this long to figure this out because I'm a helper, you know, like that's who I am. I think even though my intentions were true when I was telling people, yeah, you can do it. I did it. I thought I was encouraging or helping or educating, you know, but 
I realize now that my delivery probably came across as judgmental. And I read an article a few months ago, and I actually researched and found this article. I don't know how. Thank you, Google. (laughs) Basically, they broke it down and they said that to meet somebody where they are is to assess and not to judge. So to judge is to assume and to assess is to understand. And when I read that, I just thought that was really powerful. Yes. That's like the four agreements don't make assumptions. Right. Uh That's amazing. I used to do the same thing you did, Sherry, as a therapist. I go, you know, there's no excuses. You can go back to school because I went back to graduate school at 45 Mm -hmm. years of age after, you know, my corporation merged when I was writing songs and I was going through a divorce. So just like you, I said, if I can do it, anyone can do it because I'm not special. But you know what? I am tenacious and resilient. These are qualities that I did not learn and that I was born with some people as a child might call it stubborn instead of tenacious. But yeah, but, but not everybody can just set their mind to something and go for it. Plus, I'm a little anxious. So anxiety is a propeller. But I now I take into account people might be clinically depressed. They might not be telling me the whole story. They might be keeping things from me because they're ashamed to say I have no money. I flunked every math class I ever took or whatever they're trying to do. So yes, I just take the gavel out of my hand and brain and heart. And it's not easy because we all have biases that we're not even aware of, just even little tiny ones. And you said anxiety is a fuel for you. And I think I do have some, a little bit of anxiety. And for me as well as a fuel, right? It's like, I can't, I don't want to fail. I want to excel. I can't, I accept nothing but the best. And, but for anxiety, for some people, it's not a fuel. No, it's 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 debilitating. Right. Yes. It frees you. That that is an excellent point. A little bit goes a long way. And OCD is an anxiety disorder. So a little bit goes a long way. And I'm not like clinically OCD. I'm just saying, I just like, you know, I like things in order. But if they're not in order, then the anxiety kicks in. But some people's anxiety freezes them like there's fight, flight, and frozen. And these are trauma responses, but they're also anxiety responses. So yeah, we have to be non-judgmental of other people and ourselves. And it isn't easy, is it? No, it's not. (laughs) It's not because, you know, we have expectations of ourselves. And so then we we put those onto other people. Mm -hmm. Yes, we assume. We make assumptions. And then we take things personally. And then we run it through our own filters, which is just, it's not narcissism. I'm not going to call it that. But it's lacking empathy and holding space for that other person And trying to figure out if you put, because nobody ever really, I mean, some people will trauma dump and tell you everything that ever happened or over explain or overshare. But for the most part, they're only telling you the surface level stuff. They're showing you where the glacier's fallen in the lake of their life. They're not showing you the underneath stuff. They're not telling you everything that built on it. Or maybe some of the message they learned in their childhood is you can't do anything. You'll amount to nothing. We don't know. Some people, when they hear you'll amount to nothing from a parent, they have what's called reactance formation and they get that I'll show you. You and I probably have, all three of us probably have that. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That's true. Like, tell me you can't do something. I'll show you. (laughs) In in the South, as we called it, a double dog dare. And then we say, well, now you've done it. Now I have to go skydiving because you told me that I couldn't. (laughs) Although I'm not going to skydive no matter what. So don't even try. You know, a double dog (laughs) dare. It's funny you said that. 
People <laughs> told me back in about, it was probably 15 years ago, I used to ride motorcycles and I wanted to take a cross country trip by myself. And I had all these men that I used to ride with that would be like, that's dangerous. You can't go by yourself. You No, no, don't do it. And I was like, really? I can't go by myself? So you could go by yourself, but you're telling me because I'm a woman, I can't? Bye. <laughs> and off I went. <laughs> I know, because last you checked, all you do, because where you live, you just turn left and get on I-10, 20, 40, or whatever. <laughs> and just hit the accelerator, right? There you go. I know. It's just, it's funny, but that reactive formation is very strong, and it's what gives us autonomy. Some people do not have that sense of autonomy. You know, some kids want to get off their parents' couch at 17 and leave home and go away. Some kids will sit there till they're 30 because they're scared to death to leave. So they, that I'll show you to the other extreme is, okay, I believe you. That's when it gets scary. You know, those two extremes, because you can double dog dare someone to do something that's, <laughs> that could hurt them. Or, you know, then some people just stay stagnant and never do anything. So yeah, again, we can't make assumptions. We got to meet them where they are and try to motivate them one way or the other. Motivation is very different than judgment. So how do we use this in practice? Like when we're having a situation with maybe a coworker or someone in your personal life and what should we do? That's a great question because of all the people that would have ever told me what I'm about to tell you, it was an attorney. So let's spare all the attorney jokes and not. <laughs> One of my best friends is an attorney. And so is her husband. I have them in my family. I have them in my family and I know a bunch of, there's lots of great attorneys. I'm just, attorneys love attorney jokes. So I'm just saying that they do. Yeah. It's humorous where it came from. So in court, this is how I learned because I'm a family court mediator too. And as therapists, so legal counsel and counselors are not supposed to ask why questions. They're very accusatory. If you ask someone, why do you feel like that? Do you hear the difference between help that and saying, help me understand why you feel that way? Help me yeah. understand how you came to feel that way. Very different. One is accusatory. One is empathic. So the, the answer to your question, Jen, is ask, but ask without asking a why question. Now, okay. sometimes why is just going to turn in. It will be in there. But say, help me understand how you feel is very different even than that therapist joke because people make jokes about therapists too. Like, how does that make you feel? I mean, if someone's crying, I'm a solution-focused therapist. I rarely ask that question. I usually can see that, but I'll usually say, how do you want to feel and how can I help you get there? Okay, Those are so powerful me, words. Help me, me understand how you feel. Yeah. So then taking that a step further, like, okay, say you're having a conversation with somebody and uh, let's say... They don't feel like they can, you know, go for a promotion, let's just say. Mm -hmm. They feel stuck in their job. So would it be appropriate to say something like, what would it take for you to feel comfortable going for that? Or what steps do you need to take? I mean, like, how do you draw out that conversation to actually help a person problem solve why they're stuck? Yeah, that's a great question, too, because... That's a good question to start with what's going on presently, because even though I'm a solution-focused therapist, that doesn't mean I don't go digging back psychoanalytically. So you just say, you know, what would it take? A great question to even start figuring that out is saying, did somebody in your past make you believe that you can't do things? You know, is there some connection? Does this boss remind you of somebody like your mom, your dad, your siblings? Is there something about this promotion that scares you? Are you afraid of 
failure? Are you afraid of success? I mean, just ask questions that can lead you to put some pieces together for them. Because I would say as a therapist, I'm helping people listen to themselves, not me, to themselves. Because we always restate, reframe, ask questions. We say things like, I think I heard and understood that you said this. And to clarify, we always use the statement, correct me if I'm wrong, but this is what I'm hearing, always to make them feel safe to be able to say, no, you're wrong. You've got it wrong. And again, I'm helping them listen to themselves. And I tell them that my job is to help them listen to themselves. So if you can ask them what might be operating there, just say, is it okay to ask you what might be operating there? I'd love to help you. And maybe it's something stuck in your past. Maybe it's some old programming that you can just change the hard drive of. Right. Yeah. You know, something came up when you were talking a little bit earlier, I was thinking, I think this is so important in relationships, even with your spouses, because... Or especially with your My husband and I come from very different backgrounds. I mean, like my husband and I don't really argue. One of the things we argue about is the house and cleanliness of the house, right? And I'm not a neat freak by any means. I mean, like Jen way outranks me on the neat freak scale. Yeah, I got but, some of that Mary OCD. <laughs> Things have to be symmetrical. Oh no, I'm not a, I'm not a neat freak, but yeah. Oh, I'm, okay, well then I might outrank you. I don't know. <laughs> you might. You probably do certain things have to be in certain places and other things are a mess. So yeah. for years My desk is always a mess. I would walk in the house and I would instantly be upset because the house would be a mess, right? Like I would leave on Friday to go to work for the weekend. I'd have the house in order and I'd come home Monday and the house would be a mess. And I'm like, what happens while I'm gone, you know? And so I would get frustrated and I would tell my husband, like, the house is a disaster. Why can you not pick up on Sunday nights? And he looks around and he said, I don't see anything wrong. They don't see it. And I'm like, how can you not say? And I'm like, what about that? And what about that? And what about that? And he's like, I don't see that. And for the longest time, I thought it was an excuse. That's a great excuse just to pretend like you don't see the mess, right? I don't know why I had a light bulb moment one time. I guess maybe just getting to know him and his past a little bit better. I grew up with a mom who made us clean with her. Every Saturday morning, we got up, we cleaned, Mm. right? So she's going around behind us. And she's like, nope, you missed that, right? So you learn to train your eye to see things that mom's going to come in behind you and make you redo. By comparison, he grew up in a house that when his mom cleaned the house, she locked him outside. She didn't want him in the house. Wow. And he wasn't allowed to come in. So I had to start really being like, aha, wait a minute. Somebody taught me to clean house. Nobody taught him how to clean house. He doesn't even know how to clean house. So maybe he really doesn't see this mess because his brain, his eye has not been trained to see that. And he equates it with rejection. I <laughs> get out of the house. <laughs> well, yeah. And so it's like, here I was, I was judging him like, God, he's a slob. He's so lazy. Why can't he help? You know? And then I realized my husband would do anything I want him to do. He has to have the skill to do it. And he was lacking the skill. It is really easy to pass judgment without realizing you're passing judgment and to take things almost personally that aren't personal at all. It's like, yeah. that wasn't about me at all. No, it was about a deficit he had. Not even a deficit, just a way he was brought up, just a cultural thing when it comes to cleaning. It's not about men, women, you, him. He just, with him, mom cleans, I get locked out of the house. 
I mean, I can't even imagine how he feels. And you also said something else that was powerful about taking it personally. That's where you really have to step back is I've watched over, I mean, we've been married, Chad and I've been married since 1991. And I found out a few years ago that he'd been building up stores of resentment for things he'd never mentioned in you know, 30 years were a problem. He's like, remember back in 1990, whatever it was, when I'm like, no, I don't actually remember <laughs> But you assume people are doing something for one reason, or you, you make a lot of assumptions about their motivations. Like Sherry, you as- might assume that Eric was being lazy, or you yeah. assume that he was just being, you know, whatever, flippant with you. But he wasn't. Oh, I'm pretty sure I called him lazy. Like, yeah. you're just lazy and you don't want to help me. You want me to work full time and take care of the house. And he's like, no, I don't expect you to do that. No, it's fine with however it was also. (laughs) (laughs) You really don't see it. Truly. Some people just don't see the messes. And we'll use like a really weird example here. This is why policemen, when there's an accident scene or some kind of crime scene, they love as many eyewitnesses as possible because if they ask 20 people, what they saw and they were all in the same place. They all have a different angle. They all have a different perspective. They all heard different things. They're all doing it through their cultural filter. We have, I forget the name of that. It's like selective sight. Like if you walk down the street, everybody's seeing something different. Everyone. Well, yeah, because there's so many sensory inputs happening at all times that you cannot focus on all of them. So you only pay attention to some of them and you would just ignore the rest. Otherwise we would like go insane, right? Yes, if we, we paid would, attention. And we literally go insane if we paid attention to everything around us all the yeah. time. That's why I call attention deficit disorder. Again, your past experience is going to feed into what you notice. Like if I used to drive a blue Camaro and I'm like, oh, that person left in a blue Camaro that was just like mine, right? Another person's going to be like, I don't know. I think maybe it was a blue car. It didn't trigger a memory. It, that wasn't an important detail to them. They didn't select it out. Their brain didn't. Right. So actually, their brain didn't select it out. Right. Yeah, we would get sensory overload and go insane. We truly, truly would. We really would. It's interesting. You were going to say, is that what happens with ADD? Is that what you were going to yeah. say? Yeah, yeah, I didn't mean to interrupt, but with, I call attention deficit disorder, attention to everything disorder. Because truly what's going on with ADD is you're paying attention to everything all the time. And this is why it's helpful for people with ADD. Also empaths, if somebody's in that model, I prefer to call them highly sensitive person. That's, you know, a lot of sensitive to neural input. Get out in nature. You have to recoup and regroup, be out with people. I'm not telling people to isolate. I'm telling them to insulate. Just be in solitude. Even if it's just for five minutes, get reconnected to yourself. And then you can go on with your day and try to filter out things, you know, like people who don't have ADD do. Just filter out, just say, okay, today I'm just going to filter out everything that sounds like a siren and just hone in on things. Yeah, I call attention deficit disorder, attention to everything disorder. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I have attention deficit order and I'm very highly distractible. That's really my key point is I'm hearing and noticing every single thing around me. Right. And I like my husband got so frustrated with me yesterday because I was dealing with a company and they kept emailing me and texting me. It was his day off. He wanted my attention and I would be in the middle of talking to him and my phone would ring and it would be this person again. And I would like reply to her and I wouldn't finish my conversation. And he's like, just finish a conversation. I'm like, well, but if I don't respond to this person, and I finish the conversation, I might forget to respond to the person. And he's right. like, 
do one thing at a time. And I'm like, I can't, <laughs> I can't do one thing at a time. And you, you may not be able to see we're going to meet you where you are. You may not be able to. So you're going to have to find your own system. And also same as what you said is he doesn't see the stuff. You see all the stuff. So right. you two could have a sit down and go, okay, you're not seeing anything and I'm seeing everything. So let's kind of collaborate here and not, not harm each other with the information. Right. So let's kind of flip the script. So we've talked about like from a person's perspective, how they can meet another person where they are. But if you're a person that needs somebody to meet you where they are, okay. Or where you are. Meet or where you, you are. You need right. people to meet you where you are. Yeah. So like quick example, my husband, really bad social anxiety. Okay. He struggled for a long time with even being able to leave the house. And I would be just be like, look, you just have to go out. Like you just have to do it. I'm like, you can't just sit in your house for the, your whole life. Like this is ridiculous. I'm like, you need to go out because how can you get desensitized to everything that's happening if you just sit in your house? Like you need to go out. You need to experience. You know, and he would just look at me and say, I can't. And again, I would be like, yes, you can. You just do it. <laughs> Okay. Again, this took me a long time of working with him and his therapist to really realize he couldn't, but he also couldn't really use words or explain it to me in a way that I could understand because I wasn't suffering like him. So if you're the person who needs somebody to meet you where you are, how can you communicate that or get people to where you're at? Well, I'm going to answer that in a second. It would be, I would love to talk to him to figure out how he felt when his mother locked him out of the house when she was cleaning it because he doesn't like going outside the house. <laughs> oh my gosh. That is, see, that's a total therapist clue in there. Yeah. That's I totally missed that. awful how we think. So yeah. he's like, I can't leave the house. Someone might lock me out. Yeah. I must stay in. It's, he is a complete homebody it's now. It's interesting to see if somehow the programming in there got, if I go out, I can't get back in. That is seriously. That is so funny. It's a possibility that his brain did that, that he's not even conscious, that his subconscious brain is doing that. But to get people to meet you where you are, I think this is what keeps therapists in business. And this is what I always tell people is it's so easy. Beware with whom you share. And we all make mistakes doing it. Be sure you're with someone that you know will do that. If you know someone's a narcissist or a sociopath, do not ask them to meet you where you are. They're not going to do it. They're not capable of doing no. it. Even if you talk to someone who's a codependent, they're going to try to fix everything, which is not what everyone needs. They need to be heard, not fixed. I'm of the thought that none of us are broken, that all of us have gone through life circumstances that make us feel like we're broken, but human beings, we heal. So there are life experiences that teach us things. Even the things that make us feel broken sometimes do break some people, obviously, because of the suicide rate, but not everyone's broken. So to ask people to meet you where you are, just choose wisely. And if you don't, then just pull back a little bit and experiment and see who's safe in your field. And if there's absolutely no one, this is when it is helpful to go to a therapist or somebody at a church, someone you trust, you know, even a family member, that one family member that keeps your sacred secrets, whatever that is to you. But yes, choose wisely when you ask someone to meet you where you are. And you can even tell them up front, I don't need to be fixed. <laughs> I don't need advice because therapists, we all spend three years in school teaching how not to give advice. 
So I'm giving advice on not giving advice. (laughs) Very twisted, but it's very difficult because we all want to give advice. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we all want to share our stories, which is great. So people will know where you are too. That's fine. That's reciprocity. We've been doing it this entire time. That is not being selfish. That's not being narcissistic. You know, somebody says, well, I had surgery. Oh, I did too. That is not narcissistic. That's just people sharing and understanding. I think people are trying to make a connection there. Yeah, they are. Too many people say, well, it's not about you. I don't like that sentence. Well, it's not about you. It's sharing is sharing. Right. I've seen these memes that go around that say something like when somebody is sharing with you, don't ever say, oh, me too. Because that I'm, makes I'm it about sure. you. I don't agree with that and either. I because disagree with that. People need to feel they're not alone. You know, sometimes yes. it's it. That's actually what they need is for you to say, "I've been through that." You're not alone. Mm-hmm. It is. I think sometimes what's dangerous is the whole conversation that is revolving around this one sentence. What's dangerous to say is, "I know exactly how you feel," because right. because you don't. Because you, you don't. Right. Not exactly. Even if you've been through something similar, you're like, I've been through something similar. Let me tell you about my experience, but not, oh, I know how you feel. Right. Or even sometimes to say, would it help me to tell you? So when you're looking and listing help, I tell people sometimes, look, you you don't need to hear it. I need to say it. I don't need to be fixed. (laughs) I, I know what to do. I just need to vent so I can reinvent. And so that's a good thing. Like all therapists have therapists or we have peer reviews where we can check in with people to be sure we don't get burnout. And believe me, I get so close to it sometimes. And I think every therapist does. We have to meet ourselves where we are too. So just tell people up front. If you know that you're going to talk to someone who's a fixer, just say, I don't need you to fix me. If you know you're going to talk to someone who gives a lot of advice, I love your advice. I don't need it right now. I just want to be heard. And maybe we can bounce some ideas off what I can do. That's where boundaries come in. Mm -hmm. It's just, and it's being really nice to, I mean, that's being very diplomatic is saying, I don't need you to fix me. I just need someone to hear me. Well, it's just being a good communicator, communicating what you need and also probably taking the time to figure out what you need because you have you're pretty far along if you can say to someone I don't need you to fix me I just want to tell you about this that that you're pretty aware of your own self yes or even even say that some things are unfixable I don't care what anyone says some things are unfixable terminal illnesses Mm -hmm. there's just things that are unfixable and people just need you to hold space and be heard so if you can't fix something that is someone else's problem either like you know, if you have a child struggling with addiction, you can't fix that. You're, no. That has to come from the other person. So certainly put your arm around them and go, look, I'm here if you need me. One of the things that I'll say to people, I don't say it as a therapist. I say it in my personal life, which is because I couldn't say it as a therapist. It would, that would be terrible. But I always tell friends and family if they've had a tragedy or, or you know, they need something, I go, I'm here if you need me and I'm not if you don't. And I think that's a nice way to say, you know, that's a way to make people feel safe and to also let people know, hey, I need to be heard. I know you may not be able to even help me with this, but I'm just bouncing it off of you. And then they might explore options and things. And that's okay too. So it's just beware with whom you share that if that makes sense. Yeah. I think back, I had something happen to me when I was in grade school that has affected me as an adult at 49. (laughs) I all of a sudden, I was in choir. And all of a sudden, one day, out of the blue, my choir leader, she said, Sherry, I want you to stand up and sing this solo part. And I was not comfortable doing that. And I said, no, no, no. And she said, oh, no, I need you to do this. And I was terrified. 
and I couldn't even like get anything out. And she was like, if you don't do it now, you need to go home. You're not in choir. And she forced me to sing the solo part. To this day, I am terrified of singing in front of another person. And I look back and I'm like, in no way, shape or form did that teacher meet me where I was. <laughs> you know what oh, I mean? she did not. But I think about that in the workplace. And I see it sometimes in my workplace where you can tell a person's not comfortable doing something. And like, you know, somebody will say, hey, I want you to present at the next meeting. I want you to present this case or whatever. And you can see the person visibly shrink and they get this look of terror across their face. Mm -hmm. So say you're a manager and you're asking people to do this. Where do you draw the line between like meeting a person where they are and having them fulfill the expectations of the job. Do you offer an alternative thing that they could do instead? Or, I mean, do you know what I'm asking? Yes. Does that make sense? I think your choir director, what she should have said is you can't solo. Then if you can't sing alone. Right. <laughs> and nowhere did I volunteer to solo. Ever. Right. <laughs> Isn't a choir by definition, a group of people singing together for support yes. and security? <laughs> wow. Yeah. And I used to have debilitating stage for, as you, as you both know, but probably listeners don't, I used to be a singer and a songwriter for a living in Nashville for a long time. And my stage fright was debilitating when I first started. And I said, if I can sing in front of people, I can do anything. But I'll tell you, it was a battle to, mm -hmm. that's how I ended up in therapy. I was helping people. I got this degree to work in media psychology to help people with stage fright. That's how I began oh, wow. my career as a therapist. So because they had been through what you've been through. Uh -huh. And the people, they don't meet you where they, they meet a lot of Simon Cowell's. Now, granted, <laughs> I see Simon Cowell's place in the world because he's trying <laughs> to save people time and money on don't waste your life trying to have a career that will never happen. But really, is that's not how to be a choir director. Wow. Right. <laughs> anyway, yes, managers can not only offer alternatives, but this is what I wish managers would really do. I wish they'd read this book written by Susan Cain, and it's called Quiet. I don't know the subtitle of it, but corporations now are looking for ambiverts. They're looking for people who have a little bit of extroversion, a little bit of introversion because they can be large and in charge or work in a team. That's so me. I'm an ambivert. Yeah, yeah I am too. I mean, yeah. we, we all might be, you know, we, we don't know. But if a manager sees work with their strengths instead of telling them they have a weakness, if somebody's an introvert, they're usually a really deep thinker and there's thoughts in there, they're telling no one. They have brilliant ideas, you know, just because they can't speak in public, you can give them credit and say, okay, John over here doesn't like to share, but he gave this, this idea. And then by little, by little, by little, this guy, John will come out and he'll start feeling safe enough because somebody gave him a soft place to share and go back and retreat. So yes, managers should be empathetic and notice people's strengths, weaknesses, and not try to push people past their weaknesses and ignore their strengths. I think I, we pigeonhole people. Yeah, we do. But in education, we call that scaffolding, right? You know, oh, you, you provide pretty. the amount of support. You know, imagine scaffolding. You provide the amount of support that's required. And it's not the same for every kid every day and every lesson. But you remove the support piece by piece as needed. Beautiful. Yeah. Yes, beautiful. I like that. Scaffolding. Yeah. Oh, that's, oh, that is wonderful. Yeah. Cause that's not a crutch. It's, it's scaffolding. No, it's, it's scaffolding. You're supporting them as long as they need that and you're moving them towards independence, but you don't go from, 
you know, can't do it to independent in day one. You no. have to release it little by little. And everyone needs a different amount of support along the way. Yes. And, you know, that's the whole differenti- differentiation. I can't even say it anymore. I've been out of education for so long. Differentiation. But it's knowing that everyone needs just a little different support along the way with their scaffolding. And if managers would really take the time to listen to their employees, wow, would they learn a lot. Oh my gosh. And things that would help the whole company. Being a boss does not mean being bossy. It just doesn't. Well, I think of it as you're either a leader or a boss, and those are two different things. Totally different. Leaders, by definition, a true leader serves. Yeah. I mean, we used to call politicians public servants. Don't know what happened to that concept. <laughs> <laughs> Don't care what side of that you're on. But, but you know, a true leader serves the company, the people that work under them, the people that, is, that are over them. I mean, it's a collaborative. If we'd all stop competing and start collaborating, the world would be a better place. Collaboration is just a beautiful uh-huh, thing. It's not compromise either. It's collaboration. It's give and take. Right. So I kind of have a summary here. And then you can tell me if you would add anything or maybe change anything. So this is what I kind of came up with after putting this all together. Tips for meeting people where they are comes down to simple communication. Listen, notice when you feel judgment and avoid using judgmental words. Ask open-ended questions. Repeat back what the other person said to be sure you understand. Allow the other person to feel however they need to feel, giving them permission to feel it without trying to smooth things over or downplay what they are feeling. Wow. I wouldn't add one thing to that. Maybe the only thing would be ask them. If you really don't understand, like we talked about earlier, just help me understand where you are, what you want and what you don't want. And then all those other things you said, that's beautiful. Oh my gosh, that's like, I need you to send that to me. You need to send that to me. (laughs) You're helping me help people. Thank you. (laughs) Well, this is a subject I've thought about for a long time, just because like I said, like I read this article months ago and I was kind of like, you know, I could put the pieces together in my past, right? I was like, gosh, I've done this a lot, you know? And then I started seeing the way I would do it to my husband, And I even said something to Jen maybe a week or two ago on this podcast in that everything I did in my life was to be opposite of my mother because my mother is very fearful, anxious. She doesn't take any chances. And I didn't like that about her. But as an adult now looking back, I realized she did not grow up in a secure household. She was tormented by her brothers. She had four brothers. She had an abusive father. She needed safe. Mm hmm. I grew up in a very safe house. She provided me the stability and the safety to go be the wild child Mm -hmm. that I was. And so it's like, as an adult now, I feel so much more, I don't want to say tolerant, but accepting, I guess, of the way she was. Well, and you also appreciate it in a a different way. You know, I grew up in a house of chaos, as did Chad. So we both are coming from baggage with chaos. But I wanted to provide a very stable home. And I would have liked to have lived in a stable home, right? Yes. But but instead I had chaos. And we often, it's like one generation rebelling against the next. So if you go back from generation to generation, chaos, stable, chaos, stable on through the years. (laughs) That is so true. Now science is studying when they, when they do all this epigenetic studies, they are noticing that trauma is coming down through the DNA. Yes. 
I not just like the that. generational psychosomatic stuff. Mm-hmm. It's it gets that like your mom had fear, Sherry. You know, your mom kept you safe because of her fear, but she didn't. But you didn't know about her fear, and now you get it. Yeah, mm-hmm. a yes. revelation to that. Yes, just just what Jen was saying. So yeah, I had revelations about my parents too, with all that judgment I had when I was earlier. I said they did the best they could with what they had. And sometimes yep. that wasn't really good, but right. You know, and I think realizing part of meeting people where they are, including yourself, is that I truly believe that even on the worst of days, we're all still doing the best we can, even on the worst of days, because if people are tired or sleepy or they know they have a dark side, I love that Carl Jung stuff of shadow self, you know, sometimes we just can't control our emotions and you're doing the best you can, even if you blow up or melt down. Yeah. Nobody wakes up in the morning and says, I'm just going to bomb today. Right. Well, Well, some narcissists wake up and go, I want to hurt someone. But but most people are not like that. Barring someone who's, you know, got a diagnosable disorder, the average, you know, healthy human being has good days and bad days and just loving yourself where you are. And you go, oh, gosh, I'm so human. And to accept your humanity instead of humiliation. There's humility and there's humiliation. See how that like... This is why meeting people where they are, if you can have humility and listen instead of humiliating them and judge, it's a very fine line. And we do it to ourselves too. So I guess if you start with yourself, you'll have more compassion. Yeah, for that's a great Absolutely. tip. Definitely that start with yourself. Yep. Yeah. That's really the only thing really you like control. Self-love. I'm not really a big fan of the term self-love. I actually prefer self-like because, you know, you can love people and really detest them. <laughs> you know, <like, laughs> I love my daddy, but he beat me to a pulp. You know, there's that's like, okay, you don't right, yeah. like him. So mm-hmm. people go through this. So I think if people learn to like themselves and cause when you, when you go, do I like myself today? Do I like this about myself? Cause if you don't, then you can change it. Right. Because if yes. you just say, I love myself, that's just too That's blanket. a powerful mindset shift right there. Yeah. It's little, but I mean, it sounds very subtle, but I've never thought of it, but you're right. It is. I don't like it that I do this. Well, I can change it. Right. Okay. So, yeah. Well, Mary, yeah, this just, has been a great discussion. Great. Thank, Thank you so you. much for coming back and talking to us today. I just appreciate you both so much. You, you, you help me help people today. Every time you do, you help me help other people. Well, thank you. Thank you. Before we get to the listener-led lesson of the week, we want to take a minute to invite you to the Life Lessons VIP community on Circle. You can interact with both of us in a private online community, connect with other listeners and community members, and Sherry is hosting monthly Zoom hangouts where we can connect and talk. Join us by going to lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP. Choose your monthly membership contribution of either $4.99 or $9.99, and you can change to a different tier at any time. It really helps us bring you the podcast, so we really value your support, and thank you to everyone who is a VIP member. I'm looking forward. We're going to have a meeting this Friday. Yes, we are. I'm looking forward to that. By the time you hear it, the meeting will already have happened, but there's always another month coming along the way. So now it's time for our listener-led lesson. It could be a life hack, a book recommendation, a special recipe, a kitchen tip, or anything along those lines. Today's listener-led lesson comes from Marsha Byerly. She said, for those who like fresh baked bread but want something super easy, there is a beer bread recipe. And I am like a huge fan of beer bread. I love it. I do too. It really, really is easy. You just need self-rising flour and sugar and a beer, just one beer. And you can also add cheese. You mix it up, put it in a loaf pan or even just any kind of pan that you have. I always would put melted butter on the top. 
as well. Then you just bake it until it's done. And we will have the recipe in show notes or a recipe. There's a lot of different ways you can do it, but super easy. At the end of each show, we share a motivational quote from a listener. And today's quote comes from Lindsay. My friend and I had a falling out over something I said that she took wrong. My intended meaning behind what I was saying was not in alignment with what she heard. And the more I tried to explain to her that she was mistaken, the madder she became. And I kept trying to re-explain and she kept getting more mad. I saw this quote one day. The universe sent it straight to me when I really needed it. When I saw the quote, I had that aha light bulb moment. The key to everything is patience. You get the chicken by hatching the egg, not by smashing it open. She needed time to process what I said or what she thought I said or meant and get her head back in a good place. But during that time, I just kept hounding her because I wanted our relationship fixed immediately. It was after I read this quote that I was able to back off, give her the space she needed. Several days later, she reached out, admitted that she was struggling with something else in her life that had nothing to do with me, but that what I said seemed to really detonate a switch inside her. When I gave her the time to process it without hounding her, she was able to see that I wasn't the person she was mad at anyway. Once she was able to deal with her other issue, then she was able to come to me and apologize and explain what was really going on. I am a fast-paced action person, and she is more methodical and introspective. I was trying to push her into my form of how I would react rather than allowing her to react and process in her own way. After we talked, I was able to apologize for my part in the miscommunication as well. We both just needed a time out. I think that goes really well with our discussion of today with It Mary. really does. Yeah. So listeners, thank you for joining us today. Join us in the Life Lessons VIP community at lifelessonscommunity.com slash VIP to be a VIP podcast supporter for either $4.99 or $9.99 a month. Do you have a story to share for our good news segment, a listener-led lesson, or a motivational quote that means something to you? Email us at connect at lifelessonscommunity.com and then listen each week to see if we share your story or tip. Until next week, thanks for listening. Bye. Bye.